Good morning. Good morning and welcome to chapel today. We have a few um, introductions that we'd like to offer before we get started. Today is camp day. And in the union, we have several different camps with their booths set up who are recruiting for summer staff. So just following chapel, make your way through the union and check out the different camps and their candy and many different pictures. If you are representing a camp today, please stand. Or welcome to campus today. Good morning. My name is Tom Myers. I'm Director of International Education. And it's my great pleasure this morning to introduce our guest on campus this semester from Sichuan Province in central China. I'm going to introduce them, ask them to stand, and then we will have an opportunity to welcome them. Sharon, or Wang Xiong Xiaowang. <laughs> Victor Wu Xuan San. Stone, Shi Falin, Linda, Guo Xiaoliang, Sharon, excuse me, Christina, Yi Ping. Welcome. We gathered together in this place, at this time, to worship God. Because of God, we gather to sing, to read scripture, to hear stories of faith, and to pray. Today we will hear from Carl Helrich, professor of physics, who will be sharing from his story of faith. And today's scripture is Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. Please stand and join me in singing Better is One Day.
Thank you for coming. I have no Mennonite background, no roots in Canton Zurich or the Netherlands, and in spite of the name, I'm not even a legitimate German. My German blood has been diluted through 200 years in Scandinavia. My people were Swedish socialists, soldiers, sailors, and artists. As a nine-year-old girl, my mother walked into the big hall at Ellis Island and looked up at the ceiling in wonder. Her family was poor and passage had been provided by an uncle who was serving in the American Merchant Marine and who lost his life when his ship was torpedoed by the Germans in 1942. That sounds like the sort of thing that fits nicely into a standard box. Here's this guy with a really questionable background who found a Mennonite community in the Lord, but frameworks just don't work. They may help us simplify concepts and ideas, but no one's life is so simple that it can be fit neatly into a framework. We are each an entanglement of what life has brought us. Our encounter with God and our encounter with Christ are unique to each of us. They may be tied to a community, but at a deep level, these encounters are very personal experiences. I was brought up in the Southern Appalachian mountain country and a romantic thread runs deeply through my soul. Although a Southerner cannot avoid religion, the church was not a part of my life as a child. When I was fairly young, I found something larger than I was in the forest and the mountains. I think I remember realizing that this was God or Manitou. Small children are ready to believe in something much larger than they are. And this is particularly true of romantic small children. But even a sense of that something didn't make me religious in any acceptably normal way. I had a pretty Tom Sawyer attitude toward church, only I could avoid church while Tom had been forced to go. To me, the forest and the mountains were an entanglement of history. The 121st Psalm, which was read here, a favorite of the Cherokee was the only part of the Bible I really knew. To a small romantic East Tennessee boy, the spirit of the Cherokee was still in the forest. I scorned the BB gun and stalked the birds with a longbow. Clarence Jordan once said that God speaks all languages. Whenever we are, wherever we are or whoever we are, God speaks our language. 
God first spoke to me in a language I could understand on a bloody street corner. I was 11. On a beautiful October afternoon, I was on my bicycle trying to catch two friends who had gone through the intersection ahead of me. They made it, but I did not. The car struck me. When you are 11, you are able to think about things fairly well. To me, it was clear I had been rescued. Minutes had mattered, and they had been provided. I was a half a mile from the hospital, and the call had been made at once by someone who saw the collision. I reasoned that my life had been preserved by God. Perhaps there was some reason for which God had saved me, but it seemed to me that that was for God and not for me to think about. For my part, I realized simply that I belonged to God, but it was just God to whom I belonged. Jesus did not enter my picture, and I told nobody about any of this. No one else needed to be a part of my understanding of God. My friends still considered me a non-church-going heathen, and I did nothing to discourage that image. But this encounter had actually changed me radically. My undergraduate education was in engineering. In addition to the forests and the mountains, I loved anything that flew. Designing and building flying models evolved into rockets when the Russians launched Sputnik. My hometown of Oak Ridge had been headquarters of the Manhattan Project, and I was still a government town with some immunity from Tennessee laws strictly forbidding rocket launching by teenagers. But we did have the police and fire departments on the field when we launched. Oak Ridgers knew that science can be dangerous. There is nothing about either engineering or physics that excludes God. Indeed, in many ways, you walk closer with God as you understand more of the workings and the deep beauty of the universe. But in the intensity of my studies, the everyday vibrance of my relationship with God had diminished. In retrospect, I realized that my understanding of God had not grown with my understanding of the physical universe. I was still stuck someplace back there with an 11-year-old's picture of God. The experience of the res in the ex to experience the resurrection, there must be an encounter with the risen Christ. Here again, God must speak. And God spoke to me while I was in graduate school at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. The language was different from that of the street corner, but one I could understand. I had fallen in love with a young woman who was a Christian. No, she did not lead me to Christ in any way that fits our framework. And she was not a Mennonite. She was a journalism major, and for one class assignment, she wrote a paper on the Mennonite community in Evanston, Reba Place Fellowship. That impressed her, but not me. I was aware that questions were raised at Reba Place about her involvement with this heathen, and then one evening I expounded to her on my understanding of religion and Jesus, indicating that I understood why Jesus had come to earth, but I did not see that this impacted me in any way. Then she simply asked, okay, if you know why he was here, what did Jesus teach? I was a lot of things, but I was not a liar. <clears throat> and so after a few minutes reflection, I confessed that I did not know. But she had confronted me, and through her, God had spoken in a language I could understand. Had it been someone else, I may not have paid that much attention. 
The next morning, I woke up to the realization that I was ignorant of the teachings of the most important figure in history. So I went out looking for a Bible. I borrowed one and began reading with Matthew. I only wanted to find out what Jesus said. Had she told me the night before, I would not have needed to search, but she did not, and the search began. I, I read anything I could find that might help my search. And then one evening, while reading Peter Marshall's Mr. Jones, Meet the Master, I encountered God again. Moses may have heard God in audible tones, but most of us do not. Still, it is unmistakably God. At that moment, I was reminded of how I had been rescued and that I belonged to God. And then God pointed to the next step, which was rather clearly Reba Place Fellowship. Reba Place was not good at evangelizing, but was open to someone like me appearing. So I got invited to common meals, where I set up and took down tables and washed dishes. I helped move people among fellowship houses, became part of a small group studying the Sermon on the Mount with John Miller, and spent Friday and Sunday evenings in Don and Eunice Mast's basement, where they ran a fellowship coffee house. And then John Miller pointed out that my commitment lacked baptism. I knew the question was coming, and I do not recall that I hesitated. I had already come too far. So I was baptized and became a member of Reba Place Fellowship, and that began what would be 13 years in intentional Christian community, where we had a common treasury and shared all things. I did not marry the journalism major. I married someone who was just then a friend, Betty Jane Weaver, a biology grad student. Her roots were in North Carolina Methodism, and her people had been pillars of the Methodist Church, including a circuit rider in Western North Carolina. But she had become antagonistic to Christianity while in college in Virginia, and considered me an oddity with my Christianity. But her encounter with the Lord would be real. One night she came home to find that her roommate had attempted suicide and thought, there but for the grace of God go I. Sorry. After her roommate stabilized that evening, she called me to take her home from the hospital and said that she wanted to talk Christianity. I at least had the sense to realize this was way over my head and took her to John and Louise Miller at Reba Place. The Millers eventually brought the two of us together one evening and asked us what we meant to one another. We were not really certain. And then John looked me in the eye and asked, hadn't you better find out? So we did. Betty Jane was rebaptized at Reba Place in May and we were married in August. But the framework still does not fit. We did not spend 13 blissful and uneventful years at Reba Place. We had a five-year interlude at the University of Tennessee Space Institute where I was an assistant professor of aerospace engineering, and then in Germany where I was an employee of the German government at a research laboratory in Jülich. We could have stayed in Germany, but there was God again. Although we were not completely at unity, the direction seemed to leave science and go to Plow Creek Fellowship, which had been established by our small group from Reba Place. I cannot pretend in any way that this was an easy step. It was something like walking off a cliff. It was the wager we are sometimes called on to make in faith, but it wasn't just an academic wager. If I had not been convinced of God, the step would have been sheer lunacy, 
I had a wife and two sons and did not know what the future would be. I built pole barns for the Plow Creek crew. You gotta have a PhD to build pole barns. And then when, I, when my back went out, I became a freelance artist. But we were really waiting for direction from the Lord. We were in con conversation with Reba Place and almost ready to move back there, even though two mountain kids did not really want to live in the city. Then there was a late night phone call from the dean at some college, the name of which I did not catch, in Newton, Kansas. And they said they were looking for a physicist, which did not interest me much. But Plow Creek had a sister community in Newton, Kansas, so I continued to listen. And then the voice on the phone asked me what my goals were. I distinctly remember saying that I had none, which is true. Here is this college dean asking a radical young Christian what his goals are. What was I supposed to say to some college dean about committing my life to Christ and being part of an intentional Christian community? But then when he asked about my pilgrimage, I realized I was talking to a Mennonite. He had found me through the Mennonite network that led him to Reba Place, and Reba Place knew exactly where we were. Possibly God can use the Mennonite network too. We did accept the offer from Bethel after someone who knew us well at Reba Place said that he thought the word of, we had the, Lord, the word of the Lord and should accept. It's not exactly careful discernment, but it seems to have been correct. Each step in the Christian walk is a step into humility. At Plow Creek, I could say that I had given up my profession to follow Christ. But even though that had once been a step of faith, I wonder if it had not become a block preventing the walk in humility. Going to Bethel meant that block was removed because I was again to be a scientist. I, however, did, did make it clear to Bethel that I was coming first as a member of New Creation Fellowship and was only accepting employment at Bethel. In the communities, we believed that our calling was to be a follower of Jesus. Where you work to earn your daily bread is not important. It's tent making. Your job is certainly not your calling. The dean once told me that that was bittersweet because Bethel valued the connection with new creation but also coveted my full energies. Eventually, I was no longer the radical young Christian. We were among the older couples at New Creation. I served on the pastoral and teaching teams, was a small group leader in the fellowship, and Betty Jane and I led a student group from Bethel College that met in our home. Reba Place, New Creation, Plow Creek, and Fellowship of Hope in Elkhart were termed the Shalom Covenant communities of the Mennonite Church. Our contacts included Word of God Catholic communities in Ann Arbor, some collection of Episcopalians, and a group in near Aachen, Germany. We were conscious of the fact that we were a renewal movement, and I will confess that it was an exciting time. But the kingdom of God does not end at the community boundary. It's much bigger than that. Life within the common treasury had also become a source of security rather than a step in faith. We eventually separated ourselves from the common treasury as an act of faith. And a week after leaving the common treasury at New Creation, I got another late night phone call. This time it was from Goshen College. I suspect that the late night phone calls from colleges have reached an end. I hope. But the exploration and the questions have not ended. The questions are much more important than the answers. 
And for me, those questions still have echoes of the forest and the mountains and a blood-soaked street corner. Thank you. Please join me in prayer. Ever-present God, in Christ Jesus, you never leave or forsake us. Teach us to be faithful to your call, to persevere in commitment, and beyond all else, to know the strength and joy of being near to you. In the name of our Savior, amen. Go in peace.